the press. It's the U.S. national strategy to counter anti-Semitism. The White House releases a 60-page document with more than 100 action items to fight anti-Semitism. But not everyone agrees on what it means and how the strategy will be implemented. Today, we're joined by three distinguished experts on anti-Semitism policy for an exclusive roundtable unpacking the strategy and what it means for the Jewish community. Don't push pause. You're listening to Jewish Insiders Podcast. Welcome back to Jewish Insiders Podcast. I'm Rich Goldberg. And I'm Jared Bernstein. Jared, uh, a lot to talk about. We have a national strategy to counter anti-Semitism. The fact that there is one is historic in nature. What it contains and whether its contents are historic are still up for debate. Indeed. And I'm really pumped because we have three really smart people who are leaders in this field uh, to help us unpack it and dig in a little bit to some of the details and what this means in the real world. I feel like a little bit of like a meet the press. It's time for the round table. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I, 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 you know, I hope, I hope it works out, but I think, uh, I think this is a good thing, you know, to really have the diversity of views. I think so. Stephanie Hausner is the Chief Operating Officer of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. That's the powerful umbrella group representing 51 national Jewish organizations, and they advocate for the American Jewish community in Washington and around the country. Ilana Breutman is the Senior Vice President for Public Affairs for the Jewish Federations of North America. She previously served as Senior Advisor to Senator Kristen Gillibrand, of New York, uh, working on national security issues, also had worked at the U.S. House Foreign Affairs Committee, the Defense Department, and the U.S. Agency for International Development. And Ken Marcus, founder and chairman of the Louis D. Brandeis Center for Human Rights Under Law, a distinguished senior fellow of the Center for Liberty and Law at George Mason University's Antonin Scalia Law School. During his public service career, uh, Ken has served as Assistant U.S. Secretary of Education for Civil Rights, Staff Director at the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, and General Deputy Assistant U.S. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development for Fair Housing and Equal Opportunity. Ken, Ilana, Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Good to be with you. Uh, this is a little bit of an unusual format for us, as our listeners know, uh, a little bit a larger roundtable, but uh, we felt that given the enormity of this moment of a national strategy coming out from the White House on anti-Semitism and a lot of voices out there confusing, uh, I think a lot of people of what to think about it. It's a very dense document. There is a lot of details. There seems to be a lot of good. There seems to be some controversy over maybe different elements. And we just want to talk to the experts who have been working on these issues and uh, see if we can help uh, our listeners unpack uh, what's really going on here. So maybe the way to start, Jared, if you agree, is let's let's have each of you sort of give you know your top line view of, of what's going on here, your, your big takeaway. What is the 30-second elevator pitch you're, you're giving people as you have digested this document of what's going on, and then we'll, maybe we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper into the different issues. Uh, so maybe we'll go around, uh, Alana, if you want to start, and then Ken, Stephanie. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Um, I'm representing the Jewish Federations of North America, obviously, and 
We were pleased to see a comprehensive uh, strategy, one in which federations and community relations councils around the country are very engaged in all four pillars, and in particular, embracing, of course, the security elements that the federations have really been leading. Um, and we were pleased to see that uh, while there were some other uh, mentions in there, the White House reaffirmed uh, the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance working definition. Um, we are leaning into the reaffirmation of that. And uh, as you know, Ambassador Lipstadt had said many times, the IRA definition is broadly accepted and effective in combating the oldest hatred. And that is something that we're very focused on. Um, as we all know, we've seen the numbers, the unprecedented spike in anti-Semitism has caused significant pain and alarm. And it's really important that the president um, has uh, uh, clarified that the administration uh, has a call to action now that we're all going to hold them and ourselves accountable to. Ken, over to you. Uh, thank you, Rich. I agree with everything Alana said, and I do think that it is very useful, at least symbolically and rhetorically, that there is now a national strategy on anti-Semitism. There is a lot of good material that we will be able to use uh, with uh, college administrators and others to demonstrate that there is a national call to action to address anti-Semitism, not only in its traditional forms, but also in the ways in which it manifests itself today. At the Brandeis Center, we're particularly pleased that the national strategy uh, emphasizes and describes in multiple places uh, our uh, University of Vermont case, which was a landmark case involving uh, anti-Zionist activities that the Biden uh, Office for Civil Rights at the Department of Education rightfully acknowledged uh, rose to the level of anti-Semitism. So there's a lot of good stuff here. However, uh, we certainly were disappointed that the administration was not able to have a stronger uh, endorsement of IRA, uh, and especially that it found it necessary to include an acknowledgement and welcome of the nexus document in ways that muddied the water. Moreover, in terms of substance, at least in campus matters, there was a lot less substance than we would have liked. And I would say we were particularly disappointed that instead of discussing the campus anti-Semitism uh, regulation that the administration has repeatedly uh, promised, uh, there was no discussion of that at all, and instead only of a lesser document, a dear colleague letter, uh, that came out that was uh, better than nothing, uh, but certainly less than the degree of substance that we would have liked to see from the administration. And Stephanie, you're opening. So I think that, first of all, the, for the White House to put together such a detailed 60-page document um, addressing the oldest hatred in the world, anti-Semitism, and showing that um, there is real effort amongst federal agencies um, across the board to combat anti-Semitism and come up with creative solutions that involve both government and NGOs um, is a, a remarkable step in the right direction um, to have over 100 action steps um, that the government plans to take and many of them within the next year. Um, and I think for our perspective and all of our perspective, it's that we're going to um, 
you know, push the White House and push Congress on making sure that they enact what what is promised in this particular plan. Um, there's a lot of uh, devil in the details, so to speak. And I think it in, in big language um, gives us a, a footprint um, or roadmap for us to move forward in terms of our advocacy efforts. Um, I think in terms of the embrace of IRA, um, as long as it continues to be the definition that the the Biden administration continues to use, um, just like uh, the Trump administration and the Obama administration before it, um, I think that we will have um, success in making sure that it is used as a tool um, for education and training purposes that are outlined in the plan. I think there was also a commitment um, to Israel's right to exist in the plan, um, which is important. Important um, and its legitimacy. Um, so I think that it did address some of the anti-Zionism um, concerns that we've had as a community. Um, I do think the K through 12 education section is particularly interesting um, in terms of calling recognizing that there is a huge problem in the K through 12 education space, that when we include Holocaust education, we also include education on anti-Semitism, including anti-Semitism um, from Jews, from Sephardic and Mizrahi Jews um, in North Africa, which I think is really a, the first time um, we've seen that in a comprehensive plan and calling on state and local governments to include Jewish studies in ethnic studies and other history curricula. And this is a huge um, movement forward and as well as the um, DEI uh, recommendations uh, for government agencies. So I think these are all places where it gives us a lot of work to do and hopefully work in partnership with the federal government and, and local and state governments. Okay. That's a lot uh, from everyone up, up front, I think, to unpack here. And I do want to level set for our listeners on some of the jargon uh, before we dive in, because it sounds like, I mean, Stephanie, you just mentioned a hundred action steps. You know, we kind of, I think everybody's wondering, well, what are they? You know, is, is there anything new here? Is this just recycle of a bunch of things that are already happening, just collated really well? Um, but but before we do that, uh, Ken, I, I heard you with some skepticism over an issue that has gotten, I think, uh, a lot of attention so far in the lead up, certainly to to the rollout. We saw major Jewish organizations, um, Stephanie from from the conference. Um, we saw William Daroff with an op-ed, Alana from JFNA, other groups, obviously Ken from Brandeis uh, and many others calling for adoption, endorsement, reaffirmation of U.S. policy on what anti-Semitism is, right? It's sort of this basic question of you're going to roll out a strategy to urge all of these departments, agencies, people around the country to fight anti-Semitism. It would usually be prefaced with explaining to people how to identify anti-Semitism, what it is. You said two, two different things have come up here. IRA, which stands for the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, working definition of anti-Semitism, and, and a new term, I think, to many people, nexus. I'll admit, I, I follow these issues. I had, outside the uh, context of LexisNexis, I had never heard of nexus until the last week uh, of debate over this, but it seems to be sort of something new um, that has resurfaced, uh, that, uh, that some people are latching onto here. Um, there's also a third definition, the Jerusalem Declaration. Ken, you've worked these issues intensely at the Department of Education. Um, you work on them through through federal uh, complaints today, lawsuits that are defending Jewish students on campus. 
explain to us what this jargon is. What is IRA, Nexus, Jerusalem Declaration? Why was everybody lining up to push for one certain definition? Why are other people pushing against that definition? And why are you then saying there's a deficiency here in in mentioning something in addition to IRA? Uh, Sure, Rich. The IRA working definition of anti-Semitism is the single internationally agreed upon working definition of anti-Semitism, which is significant in particular for its examples relative to Israel, which demonstrates that while not all anti-Israelism is anti-Semitic, much of it is. And there are various ways of distinguishing what is anti-Semitic and what is not, including in the context of anti-Zionism. The IRA definition uh, has now been uh, ad- adopted uh, by uh, well over 30 and possibly 40 uh, countries around the world. Uh, it is also in some shape or form uh, now embraced by a slight majority of U.S. states, either by legislation or by gubernatorial uh, executive order. It's also been uh, used and uh, embraced by over a thousand other entities ranging from U.S. Uh, local governments to uh, sporting uh, organizations to uh, other uh, governmental and non-governmental organizations around the world. It is the major standard, and it is extremely important for demonstrating that some of the intense anti-Zionism that people are facing, especially Jewish Americans in colleges and universities, has crossed a line into anti-Semitism. Very, very uh, important. Uh, A predecessor of IRA was uh, used by the George W. Bush administration. A version of it was formally adopted by the Obama administration. The Trump administration issued an executive order on combating anti-Semitism which ensures that the uh, IRA definition will be used by federal officials in appropriate constitutionally uh, limited ways uh, in assessing um, certain kinds of allegations of civil rights violations against Jews. So IRA is very important. It is the only uh, definition uh, that has been uh, adopted uh, in the United States. Nexus is, uh, as you've suggested, Rich, a rather little known uh, document that was developed by a number of left-leaning academics and activists associated at that time uh, with the University of Southern California, but now housed within uh, Bard College. Uh, It has not been adopted by anybody. Uh, Unlike IRA, it does not have the support of numerous major uh, Jewish organizations in and out of the United States. Uh, It's an academic definition. The third one that you mentioned, the Jerusalem Declaration, is arguably even further to the left uh, and less protective of Jews who face uh, anti-Semitism in a form of extreme anti-Zionism. As some of the others have mentioned, uh, it is helpful that this administration has said that it embraces the IRA working definition. It certainly would have been a disaster if they hadn't done so. Uh, But there's nothing especially new in embracing the IRA definition, when the Bush, Obama, and Trump administration had already done at least as much. What is unfortunately new is that they have muddied the water somewhat, not by embracing the even more controversial Jerusalem Declaration, as some anti-Zionist has urged, but as a compromise by noting, uh, by 
welcoming and acknowledging uh, the nexus definition, creating some question because the nexus document was created in a way that doesn't seem to apply to some of the examples that are used within the very national strategy. For instance, it's not clear that the University of Vermont case would have come out the way it did had the Nexus document been used. It's not clear that the Nexus document is really consistent with some of the really good language that the national strategy uses to describe the ways in which uh, anti-Israel activity crosses the line into anti-Semitism. So what we've got here is a mixed bag. Yes, the Biden administration continues to embrace IRA as its predecessors had, but it does so with somewhat less clarity, somewhat less forcefulness, and has sort of opened the door uh, to a reduction in support for IRA by acknowledging this other document, which previously had not received uh, significant uh, attention or support. And a question for the group, um, just you know, taking us down to the sort of ground level for a minute. Do we think this acknowledging of the Nexus document and that there are other points of view out there actually changes anything in U.S. government policy? Or is this is this a conversation that happens on podcasts like this uh, and in op-eds uh, that we all read and write? Um, or, but does this actually change anything in terms of U.S. government policy? Or is it a nod to um, some in the community, be it fringe or otherwise, that have different views to just say, hey, we understand that there are people who believe other things out there, but we're going with the with the IRA definition. Just, just quickly before um, I, I turn it over, a lot of what's in this document, for better and for worse, is symbolic and rhetorical. Some of the things that we like best in the document aren't really um, enforceable. They're simply a very helpful statement of U.S. policy. This is an unhelpful uh, statement, uh, but but that's what it is. Ilana. Um, thanks. I, I just wanted to zoom out a little bit. I don't um, disagree with, with what Ken was saying, but I, what I want to do, because we did talk about jargon, is, is mention for the listeners that there are a number of times that anti-Zionism as a, as a concern is raised in the document. So, for example, uh, it acknowledges um, that uh, that there are conspiracy theories that suggested that the government of Israel spread the coronavirus. Uh, it acknowledges that um, all too often uh, Jews are derided because of their real or perceived views about the state of Israel. Um, it, it talks about Israel's being singled out as a type of Jew hatred or anti-Semitism. And, and I uh, could go on. Um, there, there are other ones as well. So there is the one paragraph that is not unimportant. It is very important about IRA and certainly that does bring in Nexus. Um, this, the group on this call, obviously, as Rich had said, had been forcefully um, supporting IRA and for the Jewish federations, it's part of our public policy support um, that you know goes beyond this, this particular strategy that has been there for a while. Um, I think that the strategy should be taken as a whole and for all of us, I believe, who are, um, addressing, working to address anti-Semitism every single day and in all of its forms, including the anti-Zionism form or the delegitimization form, um, we, at least for the Jewish federations, we are focusing on how we could take this uh, significant document and uh, leverage it to continue to expand and deepen the work pretty 
um, pretty strenuously. So I I may have a, a slightly different view in in that I think you know we've seen the the Biden administration embrace the IRA definition. Secretary of State Blinken um, and several uh, members of the State Department um, have spoken about IRA at length. Uh, we know Deborah Lipstadt, the anti-Semitism envoy, um, has used IRA, has encouraged other other countries uh, to talk about IRA, to use IRA. Um, and the same with the Department of Education. Um, and we know, and, and Ken mentioned the University of Vermont case, and we know that it's being utilized there as well. Um, so I think we should not make the assumption that, of course, we would have preferred uh, no nexus mention. Um, but I don't think we should assume that this is a change uh, in policy and that this means that nexus is now going to be used uh, by government agencies because um IRA is already being used by government agencies. Um, and I think it's going to be up to us to, to push and encourage um, and ensure that um, the IRA definition continues to be used, that we continue to work on our efforts in states and, and localities across the country in terms of educating on IRA, in terms of adoption of IRA. Um, I do think that the non-inclusion of the Jerusalem Declaration, which was pushed heavily by those on the left, is something that we should um, be declaring victory on. Um, That definition, unlike the other two, um, clearly shows, um, clearly states that anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. It is something that would be quite harmful for the United States to move in that direction. Um, And I think that its non-inclusion also speaks volumes. And so we should um, embrace that, so to speak, uh, as well and and, um, move forward. I want to follow up a a little bit here because Jared um, raised the question of sort of the the tachlis, right, for our our Yiddish listeners of like, how is this actually going to impact the implementation of policy recommendations, et cetera. Obviously, the State Department, you mentioned Stephanie, Secretary Blinken reaffirming support early on in the administration for IRA. State Department's mandate in that context is a foreign global focus, not domestic focus. Department of Education, obviously, is guided by Title VI and, and the executive order um, that came out in 2019 that, Ken, uh, you, you, you were uh a part of the inspiration, the drafting, the architecture, uh, and the implementation of that executive order and, and can speak to that. That executive order doesn't appear, as far as I could tell, in, in the report uh, anywhere. Um, you know, we have this incredible mention on one hand, Alana, you mentioned this, I'll quote from the document, Jewish students and educators are targeted for derision and exclusion on college campuses, often because of their real or perceived views about the state of Israel. When Jews are targeted because of their beliefs or their identity, when Israel is singled out because of anti-Jewish hatred, this is anti-Semitism, this is unacceptable. That to me sounds like Ira speaking. And then, you know, the issue of Nexus clearly, as Ken was talking about, you know, to actually quote from the Nexus document, what is not anti-Semitic? Opposition to Zionism and or Israel does not necessarily reflect specific anti-Jewish animus nor purposely lead to anti-Semitic behaviors and conditions. For example, someone might oppose the principle of nationalism 
or ethno-nationalist ideology. Similarly, and this is maybe the big problem, someone's personal or national experience may have been adversely affected by the creation of the state of Israel. These motivations or attitudes towards Israel and or Zionism do not necessarily constitute anti-Semitic behavior. So the Palestinian professor who is tormenting her students uh, at, uh, at a university uh, and is clearly engaged in what Ira would consider anti-Semitic behavior, you know, because she's affected somehow by her national experience, uh, the creation of the state of Israel, these motivations perhaps do not constitute anti-Semitic behavior in, 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 in the actions there. I'm sure people would say that's not true. That's not how it'll be interpreted. That, that, that's, that's not how we should look at this. Ira is being embraced here. Ken, I'll, I'll, I'll note that this is where I get back to the talk list. There was the first action step that I could see being taken immediately after the release of the strategy, just a few hours later. The Department of Education appears to be the first action item uh, with a dear colleague letter being sent to university administrators, noting the strategy being put out and telling people to take note that Title VI is, is on the table, you know, sort of speaking around the executive order, but not mentioning the executive order, but but no clarity on what anti-Semitism is in a confusing context with the left telling administrators, no, IRA wasn't adopted. The center, the center right, uh, the right saying IRA is, is, is the only standard, the executive order being on the books, but not mentioned at all in the strategy. And there's no mention of Zionism, IRA, Israel that I could find in a control F in the dear colleague letter sent by the Department of Education. So are we just in sort of status quo after this document? Are we, are, is it sort of we're in neutral? We didn't go forward. We didn't go backward. Did we go backward? Is there confusion for an implementer on the ground taking steps after this document or no? The White House has created enough ambiguity so that major Jewish organizations are able to declare victory, but also strong anti-Zionist organizations, including the Council of uh, American uh, Islamic relations are able to uh, declare victory as well. And both sides are able to find material within both the strategy and the associated documents that team, seem to support their point of view. I am pleased that the Biden administration, through the Office for Civil Rights, has issued a Dear Colleague letter to colleges, universities, and other schools reminding them of their obligations to protect the rights of Jewish students. That's important. It is important for administrators to understand that anti-Semitism is something they need to address. It's a real thing. There are lots of administrators uh, who think that uh, Jewish students should own their privilege, that uh, everything is fine for Jewish students, and they don't necessarily uh, believe when Jewish students talk about excuse me, their harassment. So I think the very fact of that letter is helpful, just as the very fact of the strategy is helpful. Having said that, um, it would have been quite possible for the administration to issue a dear colleague letter that actually had substance and meaning and specificity. Um, if you want to find something strong in the new dear colleague letter from the Office for Civil Rights, you can't find anything within the text of the letter itself. You have to go to the end notes and you have to say, aha, this is significant that the Office for Civil Rights is citing the informal guidance adopting the executive order on combating anti-Semitism, because indirectly, this incorporates IRA. And this is a signal to administrators that 
IRA will be used to evaluate anti-Semitism claims. That's important. However, first, how much better would it have been if the education department in speaking to universities had the same clarity that the national strategy had? Moreover, think about it. This is just a dear colleague letter. It's an informal guidance. The White House has been promising to issue a formal regulation implementing the executive order on combating anti-Semitism. And most recently, they've said that they would do it by December of 2023. If they meant it, if they really are going to do what they promised, if they're really going to issue a major regulation on combating anti-Semitism by December 2023, wouldn't they mention it in a 60-page strategy document that actually has a lot of fluff and filler and very little that has the the, the power and the substance of an actual regulation, it seems to me that this is more than a missed opportunity. It's a signal that they really aren't at this moment planning to do what they promised to do, which is a real regulation. If what they're substituting is this dear colleague letter that has maybe symbolic value, but no substance in it, that is a very weak substitute. I mean, in the plan, they talk about this anti-Semitism awareness campaign within the Department of Education. And there are like 10 goals uh, related to both Department of Education, Department of Agriculture. Um, but I think Ken's right is what, where are the specifics in it? Um, and how are we going to be able to, I mean, I think we've been engaged uh you know, productively with the Department of Education, certainly our three organizations um, over the last several years. But how are we going to ensure that technical assistance and a dear colleague letter and saying that, you know, they the universities treat anti-Semitism with the same seriousness as other forms of hate, how do we ensure that that happens and that DEIA offices on college campuses include Jewish students in mandatory training on discrimination and harassment. And I think one of, you know, the point is, is it up to us uh, as Jewish organizations, as, as activists in this field, or are we going to see uh, come the fall greater recommendations on this particular piece of the plan so we know what the roadmap and next steps are? Um, because without that, it seems like uh, you know, not as as strong as as it maybe we would have hoped it would be. In addition to you know what we're all asking ourselves of how did the administration do with this strategy? I also look at it as an opportunity to have a real call to action that unites our our community and all all the various organizations. For the most part, um, we are quite united, and so it's an opportunity to double down on everything that we're talking about and to. To bring it uh, on the education piece, so glad that University of Vermont, where Ken did wonders, um, was mentioned. We know there are other campuses where there's an enormous, enormous problem. And we also know that that has been metastasized down to the high schools and even middle schools. And, and it is good that that is mentioned. And I see that, um, uh, I, I'm not trying to be simply overly hopeful, but I see that as a real opportunity for all of us to use that to continue to press forward. This is uh, you know, younger kids are even more vulnerable than college students, obviously, when they enter an environment where they feel uh, unwelcome. Um, and, and that can happen for so many different reasons, um, legislative reasons, uh, leadership in the schools, not you know, a lack of action when something happens. 
Um, there, there have been some horrific examples that I will go into detail on here. So I think that it's really important that the strategy um, uh, it includes the the younger younger stage schools as well, so that we can leverage that um, in in our advocacy. So I wanted to shift gears slightly. We've been talking about the White House strategy for a bit. Um, there is a article that has come up on our podcast on and off for the last month or so, um, talking about Holocaust education. And it was an article in The Atlantic by Dara Horn, who asked a pretty controversial question and said, um, is Holocaust education making anti-Semitism worse? And in in the article, she argues that, you know, basically she's giving anybody um, – the Holocaust education gives anybody who is not actually committing genocide uh, an out in their own head or in the eyes of everybody else. So as long as you're not an actual Nazi uh, committing actual genocide, you're everything else is sort of okay. Um, runs contrary to sort of everything I was ever raised on, everything most of us are all, I, I would imagine, on this call ever raised on in terms of anti-Semitism education. But but, you know, arguing the the extraordinary out of the box point, I guess, is in the best the best parts of our tradition, at least to make us have the conversation. So it's interesting, you know, interested when we have three leaders in the anti-Semitism space who spent a lot of time thinking and writing about this, what you all think about that article and about the premise and, and does it hold any water uh, going forward? And, and I'll just say a personal anecdote. I, I, I was on the Illinois Commission Council on Holocaust awareness and genocide and, and uh, it's very nice that we have one and I see the strategy calls for more states to adopt them it does nothing it I'm sorry it, I was on it I don't it's on my resume it did nothing it does nothing it could do something maybe it just calling for a state to have one I don't get I don't get how that's gonna throw the ball forward an interesting point because that was actually one of the the pieces of the plan that I looked at and kind of cringed um, knowing that how many of these, how many states have Holocaust commissions that frankly do nothing and, and sometimes have actually worked in um, to hurt the, the pushing of actual good Holocaust education. Um, they refer to 24 states having mandates. I think we need to do a real and, and hopefully um, under this new Holocaust Museum Center that's being constructed, um, and then I'm anxious to see what that looks like, um, that they look at what these mandates really say. Because in some cases, uh, going to a Holocaust museum for an hour is fulfills the mandate. And I recently talked to a student, a high school student, who said that on the bus ride to a local Holocaust museum, students were asking if they could write numbers on each other's arms and um, was horrified. And by the time he got, and this is a third generation, um, uh, his grandparents were survivors. By the time he got to the museum, he was so uncomfortable by the idea that they were going there and what it would be like for him who uh, the Holocaust is personally uh, meaningful to him. And so I think Holocaust education, and this is something I think Dara Horn gets right in her article, is that it can't just be Holocaust education. Because to Jared's point, anything less than the Holocaust, people view as not anti-Semitic. And so when we educate about anti-Semitism, we have to educate not just about the Holocaust, but we have to educate on what happened before 
the Holocaust actually started and how do we deal with hate and discrimination um, and the historical hate and discrimination against Jews, not just in the Holocaust, but pogroms, the Spanish Inquisition, right? We could go on and on and on because without that context, we're severely missing something. And to Dara Horn's point in her article, it doesn't really explain the fact that all of our synagogues have security outside and security teams on call and our JCCs and our federations and our other communal buildings all spend millions of dollars on security a year. Um, if it was just about the Holocaust, then we wouldn't need to do that. And I think that making that case on why um, anti-Semitism education is important, not just Holocaust education, is a point that the plan makes. And hopefully we can push forward on that uh, even more. Yeah, if I could add to that, um, I think that uh, the claims conference numbers a while ago certainly showed us that the education mandates that are there now are not enough because of the uh, even of the low level of numbers among millennials, for example, it was millennials and Gen Z, I'm sorry, I don't remember, in understanding the Holocaust and some, sometimes even subscribing uh, the Holocaust to to Jews um, as having um, uh, been the, um, uh, having promulgated all of, it, all of this. Um, you know, it was, it's been good to see some of the states where federations had really worked with legislators, New York, New Jersey, to name a few, to ensure audits um, of, of the education. There's certainly um, uh, legislation on in, in Congress that we've been supporting that, that also supports uh, better Holocaust education and a review of it. And that's not, that's not going to be, um, uh, the only thing that we should be talking about, as Stephanie had said, there's certainly a history there. The the strategy talks about uh, North African jewelry. There are plenty of examples, really, currently, that we could be calling upon um, where there are people who can speak about their authentic experience. I, I came as a refugee from the Soviet Union. There's plenty of my community that could speak to what we had seen in our own lifetimes. There are people who have come from parts of Latin America. Jewish people who are now here who could speak to some of what's been happening here. We know that there have been um, significant concerns among European Jewry. So it is not enough. And it's a, it's a constant look at um, what happens to the Jewish community and how um, words can turn into really horrible actions. Um, but that's also not enough because it's not just about the negative. It is also about teaching um, about Jewish heritage in America and uh, Jewish contributions in America and creating that sense of pride in our own community, but also um, a recognition of what it, of, of how Jewish veterans have served, the recognition of, you know, everything else that Jewish Americans have done in this country. I think both the, the concerns and the positives um, could be very, very helpful. And it's something that uh, certainly in, in the Federation community, there are a number of different uh, 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 programs that do that at the, at the location level um, where they work with across different communities that are in the schools. They work with uh, the um, uh, leadership of the school district. They work with teachers 
Uh, and I think it's a call to action, not just on us, of course, and, and the administration, but also on the leadership of teachers and superintendents and, um, and uh, principals to ensure that all of these different pieces that go beyond the Holocaust, but also including appropriate teaching of the Holocaust, are really embedded in, in the education system. Uh, I'm going to posit uh, a little bit of a theory uh, or an, an assessment, and I want everybody to respond to it. Uh, and it allows us to sort of break down the hundred action items uh, that Stephanie mentioned and, and what exactly is new here. I think that's a big question is what is new here? Is there anything new here? Um, because it's a, it's a big grand strategy. They spent months and months putting it together. The second gentleman chaired this big process interagency, Susan Rice, the head of the Domestic Policy Council, Ambassador Lipstadt. Which wants to know Well, well, not just that. I mean, it, 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 this is how I read the document, and I want to know if I'm completely out of line here. I did like a control F. I love control F. You know, it's you find all the keywords, you go, you go quick. And I looked for Islamophobia. And I looked for halal. And I looked for other keywords that were not Jewish in nature. And I'd already struck this as I was reading through it the first time, but I want to just clarify myself in my reading this right. And I think I am. 90% of the document is sort of like this cut and paste plug and play of departments and agencies were asked, what are you doing about hate and bias against all people? But we're asking about Jews in this context. And whoever was in charge at every department of agency of putting together their response just Xerox, whatever their standard boilerplate. Here's all the programs we have in place right now to deal with all bias. And we're going to try to spin it as it's for Jews. And so you see like over and over again, this is going to be part of our efforts to counter anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and other forms of hate. Even the kosher food section is like about, we're going to make sure we redouble our efforts to have kosher, halal, and other dietary needs for, for individuals. Like most, except for specific references to debate over in the introduction, what is anti-Semitism, some of the Holocaust education, the K-12 space, some DEI mentions, ethnic studies incorporating Jewish history. It seems largely to be not actually about Jews and anti-Semitism, but all forms of hate. And I wonder why is that? Is that, is that making things unique? And if this was a national strategy to protect the Muslim community, would there be sort of like a, here's what we're doing and what we're doing for Jews? Like it wouldn't make sense. So, I mean, when this was an, uh, the initial idea was put forward, it said that uh, anti-Semitism is first, and then they're going to come out with a plan to on combating Islamophobia and other hatreds. Um, so I think in that way, that part makes sense. What I do think, though, Rich, to is it just a cut and paste piece? Is that for some of these things, it's the first time Jews are mentioned in those uh, anti-hate initiatives, right? And so for the White House to say, which is like, doesn't matter what you think of the plan, for the White House to say it means that many people will listen. And for the White House to say that they're going to use federal non-discrimination laws, not just in the Department of Education, but USDA, Department of Labor, HHS, HUD, EHS, Treasury, Transportation, right, Interior, 
who produced fact sheets and explaining Title VI and showing that discrimination based on shared ancestry or ethnic characteristics includes Jews and that it prohibits in federally funded programs. For many of these agencies, that's the first time they're doing so. For them to say, we want to include uh, anti-Semitism training in all of our DEIA programs, the first time for many that anti-Semitism is being included. And so I think we have to look at it, you know, and and Rich, I know, you know, maybe I'm a more glass half full and you're a little more glass half empty. No one has he, he always, me of he, that. By the way, I accuse you of that every week. My glass is always half full with a kosher winery selection. So I think, though, what this what it's saying is that we as Jews and the discrimination we face as Jews and anti-Semitism in this country is no less important. Right. If you want to put it in that characteristic than any other hatred and that the government is going to ensure that when they talk about anti-bias programs, when they talk about hate, that Jews are going to be an anti-Semitism is going to be a key part of that learning and education. And I do think that that is new and different. So, Stephanie, with that, we're going to go to our a quick lightning round because this is where we, we've got a lot of like heady work here. Um, but we like to ask each of our guests uh, a lighthearted question to get a little bit of a sense of, of uh, who they are as a person. So we're going to start, start with Alana. Um, your, this is your favorite word, and profanity is allowed here, your favorite word or phrase in Hebrew, Yiddish, or because you uh, are an emigrant from the Soviet Union, you can, we, we will give you Russian or Ukrainian, your pick. Oh, my God. I have to do two okay. again. I have to Yalla. do two. Okay. So um, in Yiddish, genug, and it's because of the way my grandmother used it so that I don't have to drink warm milk at night. And in Russian, kashmar, which is the best word ever for chaos. It means so many different things. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Ken. I like mensch. Uh, because I like the notion of what it means to be a man that uh, embeds uh, being a, a decent uh, person, a person of uh, character. Like my friend Rich Goldberg. Yeah. There you go. All right, Stephanie, go for it. Um, similar to Alana, I'm going to say Balagan because I just don't think that there is an English word that really quite encaptures what a balagan is. There was a phenomenal restaurant in Paris for a long time called Balagan, where they used to dance on the tables three times a night. And sadly, it closed last year. But uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Rich, do you have one more for Alana before you let I just go? want to clarify, genug, that means enough, right? That's enough? or um, it's, it's enough. It, it was actually genug, the way my grandmother said it. So I'm never sure about my friends. So a lot of the good news is when my mother listens to this podcast, she will come back to me with some pronunciation notes on all of our Yiddish. So on the, Jared, on the podcast. I think it's time to say genug for this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Great panel. And uh, we look forward to having you guys back on soon. And that's a wrap on our roundtable for today. Jared, uh, our first try at a roundtable, we covered a lot of ground, a little bit difficult to do with three people on uh, on a podcast, but I think we did it. I think so too. And I listen, I, I, I came out of this podcast smarter on the issues. Uh, I think, you know, as with all things the federal government does, 
the devil is in the details and in the implementation and and what this means for the last mile. And I think this strategy is no different, right? Uh, a lot of it sounds great, and we just time's going to tell uh, what the departments and agencies do with it, and then what the end users, like colleges, universities, high schools, state and local governments, companies do as a result of the strategy. Here's my problem, Jared, in this conclusion. And, only, and there are only issues. One? We, only one? Well, it's one fundamental problem. Okay. I have, I raised, as you saw, there's a few problems I have here. I do think the plug and play element of this is, is a little bit um, disappointing. But I understand just having worked inside the bureaucracy and knowing sort of how this would have been tasked out and what departments and agencies were told to do. And then they come back with their, here's what we're doing on all DEI related things. And we'll, Make sure we highlight anything that's specific for Jews in, in addition to everything else that we're doing. So I understand why it's so heavy on all hate. Uh, I don't like that. It reminds me of that House resolution a few years ago where, where the House couldn't, under Nancy Pelosi, as you recall, just have an anti-Semitism condemnation vote. It had to be for everybody, right? So that, that does bother me fundamentally in, in this document. But, but that aside, to your point about implementation, Jerry, because I think it was a really good question you asked, and I don't feel like I have a good handle on the answer. And the reason is, it's sort of like the the Torah. It's like the Mishnah even, right? It's still subject to your interpretation with people who will sit around and say, well, that's not how I read the document. Well, that's not how I read the document. And you see that in the press releases where a group like CARE, which by the way is recognized in the document for their partnership, which is quite strange if you want to do a Google search on C-A-I-R, CARE. Uh, I won't go into more here. But, you know, the, the idea that CARE and J Street and and the, the pro-Palestinian, anti-Zionist, anti-Semitic uh, crowd out there that's been opposing IRA can celebrate, and all the major Jewish organizations can celebrate, and everybody can read this document however they want to read the document, means that it wasn't effective in providing precise guidance for implementation means that people are going to have to come back and say, Hey, I just want to clarify. Oh, did you mean this? Is this anti-Semitism? So I, I really sort of wonder if we actually accomplished anything here or the car is still sort of in neutral with a really cool 60 page document. Right. Right. That makes sense. It's, it's mean, a blue box. I, I, it's a blue box, if I mean, you will. Yeah, but I, I would argue, and, and I'm sure we could go back and forth on this all day long, that that is with all things out of the White House, right? Very rarely do you get, uh, you know, with uh, sanctions aside, um, very rarely do you get like a lot of granular detail and everybody uh, or often takes, a, you know, holds something up to see we got something here, but that's, you know. Uh, you know, there are lots of constituencies and, and not saying that, you know, uh, that we should be giving credence to people uh, on the far left on this. But I think that, you know, that is, uh, you know, that, that's how these strategies come out, that they are somewhat ambiguous. And I think it'll be up to the Biden administration and their political appointees of the different agencies and, you know, administrative uh, organizations to implement it in the right way. And I think, Lots of folks, including our guests, will be watching uh, and keeping them honest. Yeah. And, and and to that point, Ken Marcus saying, hey, yeah, that dear colleague didn't look good, but there's some footnote that you had to be a real legal expert in, in all this to catch and then say, oh, they're referencing this document, which means that they're actually signaling legally that they are using IRA in the executive order. They just couldn't say it out loud because it would offend too many people in the president's base, which is crazy, but- 
appears to be the reality we're in. So that's my take. That's your take. All right. If you like this show, help us get the word out to other people. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And most importantly, tell your friends because it's the best recommendation we can get. Until next time, this is Jewish Insiders Podcast. Thanks for listening.